Um, I'll be reading from the book of Mark, chapter 9, starting at verse 14. It says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered them, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that has made him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it was convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it is often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything to have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for those who believe. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out but by anything but prayer. This semester we're continuing what we started last semester, and that is uh, going through the Gospel of Mark. And the reason we're doing this is um, we want to take Jesus' life from beginning to end and look at uh, the ins and outs of it, the highs. And um, and this semester kind of uh, feels a little bit more like a low because um, Jesus, as of a few weeks ago, as of Mark chapter 9, he starts talking very grimly about his future. Um, He is as it were, on a march toward Jerusalem, toward his own death. And he says that he must die and then he will be raised again. And what we begin to see in the the aftermath of him saying that is uh, different people coming around him and responding in different ways. His his disciples, uh, most notably, are are saying, yeah, we we believe you and, and we're with you. But they're still struggling. Even last week we saw that Jesus goes up on this mountain with Peter, James, and John, a few of his disciples, and and they see this amazing thing happen. Jesus is transformed. He's transfigured before their eyes, which means that he he takes on this, this bright light, this whiteness. And this cloud comes around him, which sounds all weird and crazy, but as we looked at it, it's from the Old Testament that where that cloud and that brightness is, God is. And so God was affirming that Jesus is my son. He's the one that you've been waiting for. And it was an amazing experience. And this passage picks up as they come down the mountain. And there's all this rustling about at the bottom of the mountain. And we're going to look at why. But before we do that, let me pray for us. Father, uh, we pray now that as we turn to your word and as we consider it, as we look at uh, the disciples in this passage, as we look at this father who is desperate, Uh, we think of ourselves. We think of uh, those of us in the room who are trying to follow you. And um, we we believe you. Your spirit has opened our hearts to 
to see that, that you are the Son of God who is, has given yourself for sinners and we're struggling to apply that belief to the matters of our life. And there's some in here who um, are, are on the outside and, and they're, they're wondering what it would be like to believe. And they're curious and we pray that you'd meet them here. There's some in here who are hurting and who have very real um, difficult things going on in their lives. We pray that you would meet them. We pray that you would do for us what we need because we are needy. We pray these things and ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, let's imagine this scenario as we kind of launch into this passage. Imagine that there are two people who are needing to take a flight to get down to Orlando, Florida. Person number one, I'm going to call Yolanda. Yolanda flies all the time. All the time. Uh, she, for her work, is constantly having to get on planes. And so uh, this Monday morning flight is no big deal. She trusts aircraft. She knows that when that mass of metal and fuel and humanity rises up into the air, that the physics is going to work and the, the, uh, the pressure coefficients and the drag and all that stuff that I don't know about, it, it's going to work, right? Because she's seen it happen a ton of times. She's totally confident in this plane. And so she calmly walks onto the plane, grabs her seat, and is fine. Person number two, who we'll call Stead, uh, Stead is not Yolanda. He is terrified of flying. He, in fact, he's so terrified that at the thought of getting on this plane for hours beforehand, he's popping Xanax because he just can't hold it together. Right? He's going to walk onto the plane in this drug-induced haze because that's what it's going to take if he's ever actually going to step foot from the jet bridge onto the plane and take off. But he does. Pops Xanax, and he's there, and he steps onto the plane, grabs his seat, grabs the arms, and white-knuckles it the whole way to Orlando. He hates flying. He has zero confidence that when he steps on any plane, that that mass of metal and fuel and humanity is going to make it. He's sure that it's just going to end in just a fiery uh, cloud in the sky. They take the flight. They land in Orlando. Question. Why do they get to Orlando safely? What, what gets them there safely? Is it, is it their faith in the plane? No, not, not at all, because Yolanda had complete faith. Great. But that had zero faith. I mean, fleeting faith. Drug-induced faith. <laughs> but he got there. The thing that gets them to Florida safely is the plane. Is the object of their faith or their disbelief. The plane gets them there. The plane is what it's about. Um, in this role as a campus minister, I talk to people all the time about faith, about what it's like to believe or what it's like to disbelieve and to struggle with that. And I, I love that part of my job. I really do. It's such a fun uh, place for you guys to be processing life and big questions about faith and, and intellect and, and, and how this all fits together. One of the things that I noticed, which is curious about faith and about kind of even talking about it, is, is the way in which we talk about it. A lot of times we, we talk about faith 
as if it's the thing that we're trying to perfect. Like, I need stronger faith, or, you know, I really respect my sister. She has a really strong faith, or my, or my dad has a great faith, but, but I don't. My faith is, is not so great. And what I want to talk about, uh, talk about tonight with this is that in thinking about faith that way, it's a little bit like sitting in a car and obsessing about the windshield, Right? You get in the car and you sit down and you're just like, oh my gosh, it's got a crack over there and it's got a bug over here and it's got bird poop right there. And you know, you're just like, you're looking at this thing that's a foot in front of you that was never meant to be obsessed about. It's meant to clear a path for what's on the horizon. That the windshield is, is, but, the, is but a means, it's the vehicle by which you see clearly what is on the other side. Or you see what is on the other side. And so... In this passage, it is laid out before us through several different people here. We have the scribes who are not surprisingly arguing with Jesus' disciples. And they're, they're trying to kind of, uh, they're trying to upend this young movement of people following this guy. They do not like Jesus. They were kind of the old religious establishment. And they were all about very specific laws and rules. That, is, that was their job. And then we have the disciples. We have these people who have followed Jesus for a while now, several years probably. And they've been all in. I mean, they left their vocation, their families, everything. They're following Jesus. And yeah, they're struggling with it. And then we have a beautiful picture tonight of this father who has a really, really, really sick son. And together through this all, we see a couple of really interesting things about the nature of faith. First thing we're going to look at is that faith always involves coming to Jesus. That faith in Jesus always involves coming to Him. And secondly, that faith always involves both confessing your faith in Jesus and confessing your your belief in Jesus and confessing your unbelief in Jesus. That both of those things exist together as you believe in Jesus. So let's look at these tonight. First, that faith involves coming to Jesus. Uh, This is pretty obvious from the passage, but it's worth noting. Um, Jesus is, like I said, returning from this glorious mountaintop experience with a few of his disciples. And when they get down to the bottom and they enter this village or wherever it is, the crowds start flocking to him. And in the midst of that, he says, what's going on? There's a man who cries out to him and says... My son is sick. And he kind of he comes to the forefront. I have this sick son. Think about this. And as the dialogue unfolds, Jesus is finding out that this man's son has been sick since he was a child. And so presumably he's not a child anymore. The picture that starts to emerge is that this kid's been sick for a long time. Childhood is spoken of. In in the past here, he's moved on, he's older now. This kid is sick, sick, right? Foaming at the mouth. He's possessed. He's what we might, if we saw something like this along the side of the road, we might say like that that person's got really bad schizophrenia or they've got like, they've got a bad run on meth. I mean, like he was not doing well. He's being thrown in the fire and the water. And so this father... Most likely, again, we're, we're kind of reading between the lines a little bit here, but as any parent would do who loves their children, he's probably tried everything. I, I need to get him well. I need to get him 
I need to get him help. I need something for him. Anything. And nothing has helped. And so this father is desperate, we can imagine. He's, he hears of this traveling teacher, rabbi, guy who, who's got some people that are doing amazing things. And that, that they're healing people even. And they're calling people to follow him and to believe in him. And, and so the father gets his son and they go. And they go. He, he comes to Jesus. And when he shows up, Jesus isn't there. He meets the disciples and... And it's another disappointment because the disciples can't help him. And he's thinking, okay, that's kind of maybe what I thought. Nobody can help me. Same old thing. Jesus comes down the mountain. And this man runs to Jesus. He comes to him. Um, I I don't know if you've known anyone personally who's had... Uh, a really bad illness, really bad sickness, whether it's been some kind of terminal cancer or just a very aggressive disease or maybe even a chronic illness. You know, when they get the, the note from the doctor that, hey, you've got this. You've got rheumatoid arthritis, and it's, and it's always going to be that way. I've got a sister-in-law who has rheumatoid arthritis, and, and it's affected her organs. It's affected everything, and it's just hard. There's no like, hey, just cheer up. It'll be better because it, it really won't. Like shy of a miracle, it, it's not going to be better. But, but an interesting thing about people in these scenarios who have aggressive diseases or have this big stuff going on is that, that they're usually pretty willing to try stuff, right? They hear of an experimental drug up at the Mayo Clinic and they're on a plane tomorrow, or they hear that, that if they get down to MD Anderson soon, they can begin cancer treatment. Like they're driving this afternoon because they want to go get it done. They want some relief. They want hope that their life can be extended. They go. They come. They are there because they need help. And they're hoping, even against any likelihood, they're hoping that they'll find help and that they can continue to hope that things might be better one day. So why does this man come? Very plainly, very simply, he comes because he needs help. He needs help. Why does anyone come to Jesus? If you look throughout the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, and if you look throughout church history, and if you look in this room and you talk to people about why they came to Jesus and why they felt a need to move toward Him and seek Him out and to explore what He's offering. At some level, everyone is coming to Jesus because they have a need. They have need. They have gotten to the end of themselves and said, I can't do it. That, that trying to live morally has just left me empty. It's this never-ending treadmill of of trying to be good enough, and I'm sick of it. And Jesus offers something for that person. Or that maybe it's, it's, it's my sexual immorality, or maybe it's my longing to be fulfilled in, in that way, or in relationships, or through my resume, and through my performance, or through the right job, or through all of these things that, that you and I struggle with, and look to for life, and at some time we look up and say, 
you know, that, that's not working. Or maybe it's through my envy or my loneliness or I see the, the ugly self-righteousness and, and the tendency of my heart to judge other people when they're not as good as I am or not as smart as I am or not as pretty as I am or, or socially put together as I am. And, and we catch a glimpse of that and it's disgusting to us. And that drives us to Jesus. Or maybe it's your depression. Maybe it's your anxiety. Maybe it's your loneliness. Maybe it's the fact that you just can't seem to pull it together. And you come to Jesus, and your friend comes to Jesus, and I come to Jesus, and we're all coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, we need help. Just like this man in the passage. And friends, this is the pattern of faith. Someone coming to Jesus, handing Him their need, and saying, can you help me? Can you help me? As I started to do last week, um, I want us to pause right here, and I put a question in your little handout that I want us to take 60 seconds and just think about. Um, And the question that's right there is, is, is the sickness of your life bringing you to Jesus for help. So there may be a past aspect to that. Has it ever brought you to Jesus for help and, and, and for his, uh, what he offers? But there's also an ongoing present dimension to this. Is your life and how it's unfolding, whether that's your sin struggles or your physical needs or your, your emotional whatever, is that bringing you to Jesus? And if not... Where are you going with that? Where are you trying to find escape? Where are you trying to find some sort of of numbing or some sort of, of way to get away from it? So think about those for a few minutes. You can write stuff down if you want for, for yourself later. Okay. So first point, faith involves coming to Jesus. But there's more to it than that. There's more than just coming to Jesus Because the scribes, they come to Jesus, but they come to argue with him and they come to discredit him, to seek to to debunk everything that he's doing. The second thing I want us to see is that faith involves coming to Jesus and confessing your belief and your unbelief in him. Confessing both your faith and your faithlessness in Jesus. Let me continue the story. It goes on in verse 20. And they brought the boy to him, to Jesus. And when the Spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. This is so sad. It's an awful scenario that's unfolding. And Jesus asked the father and said, How long has this been happening? And he said, From childhood. It's often cast him into fire and water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus turns to him and says, If you can, all things are possible for him who believes. In this beautiful statement, this man utters, I I believe. Help my unbelief. Tim Keller, a pastor up in New York, one of my favorite authors, uh, speakers, says this of this barely believing father. He says, Jesus could have told the man... I am the glory of God in human form. 
Purify your heart, confess all of your sins, get rid of all of your doubts and your double-mindedness. Once you have surrendered to me totally and can come to me before me with a pure heart, then you can ask for the healing that you need. And the boy's father says, I'm not faithful. I am riddled with doubts. And I cannot muster the strength necessary to meet my moral and spiritual challenges but help me. Right? Jesus could have thrown down this gauntlet of, I will help you whenever you get your life figured out and whenever um, your faith is airtight and you can look at me and say, Jesus, I believe. Let's do this. That's not what Jesus does. And that's not how the man responds because that's not where he is. He's, he's saying, if, if you can, right, which is understandable if this guy's son has been sick forever and he's been disappointed so many times along the way. He's gone to people who he's heard could help him, and here he's at another one who he's heard can help him. And so imagine that, if you can do anything. And friends, he has come to the very source of life and healing this time. Jesus says, if you can, anything is possible for one who believes. I believe. I believe. So what does it look like to confess faith in Jesus? There's a uh, great story, a great picture of this from The Office. Uh, Your friend and mine, Michael Scott, has uh, realized that he's in some pretty dire straits financially. Um, Any Office watchers? May have missed you by generation? Yes, great. So um, Michael Scott has realized in this one episode that, that his money situation is not good. In fact, he's looking and realizing, I don't have any money in my name. This is going to end very badly. And so he goes to the office one day, and he sits down with Oscar in accounting. And he presents his case before Oscar and lays out the numbers. And Oscar turns to Michael and says, yeah, this isn't good. Like, Michael, I'm going to suggest that you go and declare bankruptcy. (laughs) And Michael gets this, like, exasperated yet resolute look on his face and he pushes back the chair and he walks out into the middle of the office and he says I declare bankruptcy bankrupt and you got Oscar who's standing over in the shadow like shaking his head and he says Michael I don't think it works like that um so What does it look like to confess, I believe in Jesus? Well, I would suggest that there's actually part of this that is kind of like Michael Scott. Because to to confess that you actually believe in Jesus involves telling people. It involves looking up and saying, this is who I am. I I see myself to be a sinner in need of Jesus, and Jesus is my Savior. He's the Savior of sinners. He's my Savior. And so the church, since its inception that we read about in the Bible, when people come to faith in Jesus, they, they, they declare it publicly. They confess it and say, I believe. And depending on your tradition, um, you are either baptized in that moment or you, you go to the Lord's Supper in that moment. Right? That's the, the visible sign to the watching world that you are declaring yourself to be a Christian. I believe. I believe. 
So faith does involve confessing your belief, even out loud before Jesus and others. But notice what comes right on the heels of this confession of faith. That this man, the very same sentence, the same breath, says, I believe and help my unbelief, Jesus. Right? Help my unbelief. Y'all, faith in Jesus also involves admitting that I don't always believe fully. That I don't always get it. That, that I'm not quite sure how this all works all the time. And that's not just like something to talk about. That's something real that we have to talk about. Because that's my life. That is like I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm, <laughs> I brought my family into this mess of teaching people about Jesus for a living. And there are days when I wake up and sometimes there are weeks at a time, sometimes weeks strung together, where I just have this nagging sense of, ah, it feels pretty weird. Like I, I've kind of gone all in on this man rising from the dead, claiming to be God, doing these amazing things and rising from the dead. And, and it, sometimes, y'all, it just it, it feels hokey. And I have to say that because if I didn't, I would be lying to you and you'd be thinking that I never struggle in that way. That's not true. That believing in Jesus also gives us room to confess your ongoing unbelief. And so there's this man who's struggling with belief. A really interesting part of this story actually is why this, even, why this story is even in here. Because in Mark chapter 6, verse 7... Jesus had already sent out the disciples to go and tell people about him. And he had said, and you have authority to cast out demons. And so Jesus had already given the disciples what they need to do what this man needs in this passage. And so here's the situation. This man comes and the disciples are thinking, oh yeah, we got this. Like we've been doing this already. We're going to cast this, this demon out of this man's son and things are going to be, be well and we're going to talk to him about Jesus, the one who, from whom all this power comes. And the whole reason this story is in the Bible is because it doesn't work. The disciples can't cast this demon out this time. And on the heels of this man's son being healed by Jesus and Jesus bringing him back up, it's like they go to the apartment for a little debrief afterward. And imagine kind of the awkwardness of that. And the disciples are sitting around, like on the couches, probably on the floor. And Jesus comes in and it's like, um, so, uh, Jesus, about that, um, why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we do this thing that you told us we could do? We're confused. Y'all, these are the disciples. I know we want to put disciples on a pedestal and think that they should and obviously would have gotten it all the time. They were walking with Jesus. They touched Jesus. They like would have slept together in the tent. Like They were with him all the time. We tend to think they, out of anyone, would have had this great faith. On a scale of ten, it would have been ten. And they're coming to Jesus on the heels of this with their questions. And they're like, yeah, we, we don't understand because you told us we could do that and it hadn't happened. 
In the same way that, that many of you who have tried to pray and you've, you've prayed for many things and perhaps praying for, for God to keep something terrible from happening. And it happens. And it leaves us all in that place of saying, man, God, I, I thought you said if we have faith like a mustard seed, just like this much faith, then, then that'll be enough. Friends, there is room in the Christian life for you to confess your faith and certainly to confess your unbelief and your struggles and your questions. And to continue to seek out answers. And there will be answers to some of your questions. And there will not be to others of your questions. God has chosen not to reveal everything to us in this world right now. One day, everything will be made perfectly clear and we will understand everything. And we will be sitting there saying, Oh, yeah, that's why you did that at that time, because it was for this reason. I I see it now. I get it. But we don't get it now. So I want to ask you, is there space in your view of the Christian life, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, is there space in the way that you see Christianity and followers of Jesus to know that, that I can move in, I can call myself a believer and yet still have some things that I'm working through and that I don't totally get and understand? That's a real question. Do you think that is possible? The Bible seems to think that's very possible, if not likely and regular. But here's one caveat I want to give in this situation. It is two very different things to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. It is one thing to be, mo- to be moving toward Jesus and toward His Word, and toward His people, and toward Him in worship, and pursuing these means of grace that God gives us, and has said, I'm going to be here. And if you want to know me, and if you want to be reassured in your faith, here's where I'm going to be. The Word, in prayer, in the fellowship of the saints, in worship, in, in the Lord's Supper even. He meets us in a very spiritual and, and mystical way, but yes. So it's one thing to come to Jesus in that place and say, I believe, help my unbelief. And that is totally different than walking from Jesus willingly on my own way into sin and saying, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. And like asking him to get the hook and pull us back. Those are two very different things. A couple years ago, um, many years ago now, actually, I had a friend who, um, he was, I, I love this guy so much. And he was so, so depressed and and so anxious. And it was so sad, y'all. So sad. And um, we met weekly for a year and a half or so and talked about a lot of things, lots of things. Sometimes we sat there in silence for an hour, though. And... As we met and as he would tell me what was going on in his life, he had some very real and very dark things happening. He, he loved, like love, 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 obsession, love, um, Satan worshiping black metal music. Um, 
I got curious about it, and I went online and like looked at some of the stuff he listens to, and it was scary, y'all. It was scary. Um, he was having an online affair with a married woman. It was dark. Um, all, all manner of other kind of sexual addictions and stuff going on. And, and week after week, as, as we would sit down, I would plead with him and say, man, you've got to turn from these things. Like this is keeping you enslaved in that, that anxiety and that depression. And it's really harming you. And he wouldn't. He, he wouldn't do it. And I'm not trying to make that simple and say like he just didn't make the decision to. I know there's probably complexities there that I don't even understand. But the interesting thing about him is that he, he claimed to be a Christian. And somewhere along the way he read this passage that we're looking at tonight. And he really latched on to this Father's prayer, I, I believe, help me unbelief. And, and as we would talk, he would say, that's, that's the essence of my faith, is, is that I believe, and that's, that's what I pray, is God, I believe, help my unbelief. Y'all, but he was moving this way. He was saying, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. And at the pleadings from me and from his friends and any kind of people that God had put in his life to like be a signpost to say, you have got to turn toward Jesus. And you have got to stop. If that means you come and live with us for a while, you, you have to stop. You can't keep doing this stuff. He kept doing it. Kept walking that direction. So sadly, tragically even. You know, there is space in the Christian life for you to honestly say, I am struggling. Faith is not some zero to ten scale that you're constantly trying to like get to a ten because once you get to a ten, things will be great and you'll be fine. And like from that point on, the ball will be over the top of the hill and it'll just be a smooth coast for the rest of your life. That's not how the Bible pictures this at all. It's this constant coming to Jesus with your needs and with your questions and coming to His church and to people who He's put over you who may know more than you and say, I've got these questions. I need to figure this out. I'm struggling to believe. I'm struggling to pray. I'm struggling with all of this. Help me. And so if that is you, know that you're in good company because the Bible has a very clear-cut category for people like you. The second question there on your sheet, and we'll take a few seconds, uh, about a minute, and look at this, and I'll close this. It says, when you struggle with belief in Jesus, or if you struggle that way, do you do which of these? Do you suppress it? Do you not care? Are you apathetic? Do you feel ashamed or guilty about it? Do you try and figure it out on your own? Or do you come to Him and tell Him? Why do you respond the way that you do? Jesus answers the disciples' question in this passage. What does he say? Verse 29. This kind can only be driven out by prayer. The disciples had been doing so much for Jesus. They had been involved in the world's first church following Jesus. Amazing things. Amazing amount of time and commitment. And even their doing stuff for Jesus 
wasn't what it took. Some of you have been doing a lot of things for Jesus. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And when it doesn't, you're thinking, man, Jesus, I sure have given a lot for you. And it's not working right now. What's the deal? And Jesus looks at the disciples and says, yeah, sometimes prayer is the only thing you can do. And I, like how often is that our conclusion? How often do we come and just say, man, prayer is where the power is. That's the means by which God is going to work. I think sometimes um, I, and I would guess you, uh, relegate prayer to the thing that, like I kind of know that I need to do or need to do more. And it's even something I want to do, maybe something you want to do. But it's the thing probably in the Christian life that I do least. And I just want us to know that Jesus seems to think that prayer is a huge part of following him. And of understanding his purpose in the world. And of, of aligning ourselves with him and his plan and what he's doing. And so that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to close and, and we're going to take another one more minute and let it be quiet. And let you pray if you want to. And tell God whatever you want to tell Him. Tell Him you believe. Tell Him you unbelieve. If you're struggling. Um, ask Him for anything that's going on that you need help with. Ask for a friend if, if something's going on. Just tell Him what's on your heart. And here's the promise of Scripture. That when you pray, believing even with an iota of faith... When you pray and offer it in Jesus' name, that prayer gets to God because Jesus is sitting next to God. And He delivers that message every single time. So let's take a minute and let's uh, be quiet where we are and um, the musicians will come up and then we'll close. God, hear our prayers tonight as we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.